Hello, this morning on the Today programme we'll be discussing Theresa May's Brexit strategy with a panel of guests from across the political divide, including Nigel Farage, UKIP MEP, Tommy Robinson, Melanie Phillips, formerly of the Daily Mail, now editor of the Culture Camp Journal, UKIP MEP Tim Aker, and the Labour Shadow Treasury Secretary, the ghost who lies, who only I can see and hear. Later in the show we'll be discussing the future of Europe's centre-left parties with Anders Brevik. But first, can HS2 solve Britain's transport gridlock? We're here with Heinrich Himmler. Heinrich, you obviously have some experience with running trains. Hello, welcome to episode five of We Don't Talk About the Weather. Uh, come on, come on, a little bit closer. Little bit, come on, we're more scared of you than you are of us. Not um, scared of anyone. Oh, you are scared. I'm not scared of anyone. That's bears and spiders. They're more no, scared of you than you are. I am scared of literally no one because I'm not a low T beta cuck. <laughs> That's less come town for you, my friend. No, <laughs> no, no. I took a, a solemn vow. Well, I was looking at how much money I spend on media in general, and how much money I spend on legitimate journalism, and realised I spend significantly more money giving it to come town. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. Well, who I'm else are you going to give it to? You're that. not going to give it to the Guardian, are you? No. Same amount of money. Yeah. But one's got a much funnier bully on it. <laughs> anyway, um, we're here to talk about this week's news. Um, we'll go straight into it. Um, one of the news stories we've picked this week is the acquittal of Alexander Blackman, otherwise known as Marine A. Um he was the first member of the armed forces um, in recent history to be convicted of murder while on an overseas tour. He executed a uh, wounded Taliban prisoner um, and he was jailed for it and has been released on the grounds of diminished responsibility. Has yeah. been, uh, has, his uh, sentence has been reduced from murder to manslaughter. I thought before we'd start talking about it, we'd actually read out the whole transcript it's worth reading out like forgive our kind of uh, stupefied voices because I mean uh, you know it's it's quite a difficult thing to read yeah. but it's uh, yeah it's pretty illuminating but so I play the role of Marine the lead role and you're always Marine, a star you're and, always a star Hugh <laughs> and Marine C Adam does Marine B and D and we sort of I think we end up Whopping between who does the unintelligible bits, but the clip does start with them unintelligibly, unintelligibly um, talking and coughing um, before Marine B starts to talk. At the start of the clip, the prisoner is being dragged across a field. His shirt and trousers are bloodstained. Towards the end of the clip, he is thrown on the ground. The Apache helicopter that legitimately opened fire on the man wounding him is still in the area, and all of this is recorded on their little head cameras. Rear man, take east. Come out towards you. Fucking get his ass over here. Fucking cunt. Fucking bastard. Why couldn't you just be fucking dead? Good effort, lads. Swap hands. Yeah, I took... You're fucking brown as fella. Don't give a fuck about you, son. Does anyone recognise him? Stop fucking whinging. Going way... Yeah. Fucking prick. Right, get him closer in so PGSS can't see what we're doing to him. Push him in there, come on. Get him right in. Come on. Over by that corn. That'll do. Right in that, that clear space. 
get him right over there. Take him out there and that'll do, that'll do, that'll do. Mm. Out here. Do you want him back in? Yeah, I want I want him in this area here so I can see what the fuck I'm doing. Uh, just arrived in there. Anybody want to do first aid on this idiot? No. No. I'll put one in his head if you want. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, laughter. Take your pick. More laughter. Yeah. No, not in his head, because that'll be fucking obvious. Just move him round here. Move him round. Going to switch this fucker off. I don't know where that AH is, mate. That's the end of recording of the first clip. And the second clip starts with the captive lying face down on the, at the start. The Marines pretending to apply field dressing while the Apache helicopter hovers nearby. The captive is turned onto his back. After the helicopter has gone, Marine A shoots him in the chest with his pistol. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a fucking a sucking chest wound, mate. Fucking hell. We'll patch him with an FFD. Yeah, send over. That'll do, won't it? Keep your eyes on my weapon, mate. Where's that where's that ugly now? Ugly as the helicopter. He he's over there and he can fucking see us. Ah. Uh, yeah, check the check the Yeah. Yeah. I think Murph's trying to get hold of us on the uh Murph is a fellow marine back at the base. Okay. Yeah, Murph. This is name of Marine A. Send over. Better send up a nine-liner, I suppose. That's the report that a medical evacuation is needed. Yeah, uh, we're just waiting for name of comrade to uh, get... He may well be dead. He'll be on... Be behind them trees in a minute. For fuck's sake, I cannot believe I'm doing this. Don't. Just don't. Yeah. Wait a minute. Just pretend to do it until he's behind them trees. Just strangle him. Yeah. More laughter. Yeah, that might... Yeah. Yeah, he's passed. Fuck it, he's passed. He's dead. Hello, 1014 Hotel. Fucking cunt shooting at Talanda, you twat. Talanda's the British command post nearby. Just making... Hello, 1014 Hotel. Say... I hate to say it, administering first aid to this uh, individual, he's... Uh, Wait. Passed on from this world over. 1014 Hotel, I will... Uh, Mm. Okay, uh, mm. do my best to uh, biometrically enrol him um, and then uh, gather a DNA samples. Uh, DNA samples are, and fingerprints are routinely taken from suspected insurgents. To bag up the evidence, the weapon and the uh, grenade. There was a grenade there as well, was there? Yeah, in his pocket. Fucking twat. Yeah, cunt. That's probably re-ready to go on you, boys. Get your shot fucking... Fucking, fucking hell. Yeah, maybe we should pump one in his heart. Uh, both of my call signs all round. Can't. Just hold that on him, name of comrade. Just a few secs. Uh, while we're, uh, like I say, we'll try to biometrically enrol this guy as best we can, and we'll gather what uh, intelligence we can before moving back. Right, we'll roll him over again. Uh, he's dead. Don't waste your fucking FFDs on the cheeser. Take it off him. Right, get the get the HIIDE camera out. See if you can see if you can a picture of him. Minus all the the thing. Name of Comrie. Push up the corn there, will you? The HIID camera. 
takes images of fingerprints, irises, and other details. Can you just grab the HIID camera out my back for me, mate? HIID camera's in my sack. Yeah. Top? Yeah, it's in the main compartment, mate. Just down there, mate. Stay there. Cover up. Covering him. Fucking uh, name of comrade. Did you get him? Eh? You get him. In the head? Yeah, that's fine. Backpack. Get a, a DNA kit for this guy. Yeah, got that. Where is the CAT? Ugly call signed. Referring to the helicopter again. It's gone that way. Yeah. Went south, mate. Um, gunshot. This is the moment when A allegedly shoots the prisoner. What was that? Don't know. There you are. Shuffle off this mortal coil, you cunt. It's nothing you wouldn't do to us. I know. Exactly. All right. Obviously this doesn't go anywhere, fellas. Yeah, Roger, mate. I've just broke the Geneva Convention. Yeah, Rog. Biometric data module, right? Uh, try and brush some of that shit off his face. If anything, if anything gets heard, mate, it's as a warning shot went down. Yeah, name of comrade. He's uh, fully dead now. Yeah, Roger. Ha ha. Yeah, just getting a mate. And that's the end of the recording. So yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Wasn't delightful, just a delightful romp. Kind of like um, like the cast of EastEnders committing a war crime. Yeah, because like, I mean, look, we've had our brains broken by years of the internet and terrible television. Yeah. So we kind of saw that and thought, oh, we should, you know, try and make it something funny. Yeah, like Marine, um, a, Marine a is um, Fraser Crane, yeah. Marine B is Niles... <laughs> and it's just a horrible farce. It was a dinner party that went horribly wrong. Yeah, and we're morally outraged. It's not that we can't do impressions. Mm-hmm. I just want to make that clear right here. Um, but yeah, it's it's the frame that's been put on this whole case has been one of you don't understand how hard it is out there. Mm. And it's like, I'm pretty sure, yeah, I don't understand. No, we don't. I don't understand how hard it is in no. combat. wasn't in combat. Like, um, but also, we don't understand what it what it's like to be in a combat situation. Yeah. But you know who did? Hmm. The people who constructed the Geneva Convention. Hmm. There wasn't like they... It was a bunch of liberals in a university just taking the piss. It was 19th century um, hardened, like, great power conflict politicians. Yeah. And they did it in order for there not to be the kind of reprisals that I'm sure this kind of thing creates. Yeah, there's... Um, you know, if, if, if... Like, we make... There's documentaries on TV every day about the terrible things that the Nazis did. And one of those things is executing prisoners. Don't think of him as like, oh, well, there's a kind of um, automatic reaction to it. It's like, oh, well, what what would you do? Would you, like, this wounded guy, would you take him and care for him? He's the enemy. And it's like, well, no. But what he was was a prisoner. Yeah. And you don't execute prisoners. Because what happens the next time, they'll execute your prisoners. Yeah. It's um, in... The World at War, there's mm. a lovely bit with a Japanese soldier who's talking very candidly about we did horrible things because we knew the Americans would do horrible things to us. Yeah. And that's literally the whole point of the Geneva Convention to stop that. Mm. And it doesn't really, it means that the Geneva Convention is utterly worthless mm. if literally no one is going to play by the rules. Yeah. But then they, people can't then start bitching about how horrible ISIS or the Taliban are if yeah. they're just doing the same things as us. The only reason that we don't set pe- set people on fire in cages is because we have more money and more elaborate ways of killing people. I mean, it's not because, as well, the kind of reaction to it among people who might not be sympathetic with the Taliban but might see it as a, some kind of like national liberation movement in mm. some way 
it's probably not. It's probably not that great. No. It's not that great. No. But all of those things add up to exactly what everyone says about the West being brutal. I mean, if you're if you're claiming the high ground at the same time as you are, you know, waterboarding people, arresting people, shooting people on their doorsteps in the in like Britain mm. or the US you're tapping their phones, all that kind of stuff. And you're saying, well, the people who we're doing to, they're much worse. And it's like, well, on a on a physical, on a brutal level, yeah, they may be, but because they're staring you in the face mm. in a war zone. But you have no moral high ground. No. I don't feel like we would have been talking about this kind of a um, hundred years ago because the news of foreign wars was so kind of heavily... Yeah. Heavily repressed, and they didn't wear cameras on their head. That's yeah. the thing; they do it with cameras on their head, yeah. and they joke about breaking the Geneva Convention. Yeah, and they know what they're doing is wrong. Yeah, they know what they're doing is wrong. They move him away, they hide him from things, they pretend to patch him up, yeah. and then they kill him. Yeah, and pretend that it was not mm. just murder. Mm. And it's this. It's this. The, we have this kind of um, conflicting. Um, impulse when it comes to the reaction to these kind of things because on the one hand yeah you can't understand what it's like to be in a war zone if you're actually for whatever the reasons there were for joining the army or or whatever as an individual for joining the army going into it whatever and you're in that situation and you're firing a gun at another human being you know that's one thing that I do not know hmm. but at the same time the war is the war and all wars recently are sold on the notion of kind of humanitarian intervention, generally on a feeling of making things better. And it's like, it's not. It's war. That's why people don't go to war to achieve those aims. Yeah. No war but class war. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He might have PTSD. It wouldn't surprise me if he did. Yeah, that was the thing that actually got his his conviction... bumped down to manslaughter yeah. with diminished responsibility was he was apparently suffering from PhD apparently PhD, PhD yeah <laughs> he was um, apparently suffering from PS, PTSD but the which is, apparently allowed you the ability to come up with fucking what would otherwise be kick-ass fucking action movie lines like shuffle off this mortal coil you cunt yeah like if Seagal was saying that you know it, <laughs> I mean it'd be atrocious because Seagal's atrocious but like <laughs> but the thing is so he's you know, diminish responsibility. So who is responsible? Or do we just have an army that no one is ever responsible for anything? Yeah. Because I'd like to think that commanding officer in the army can spot PTSD or at least see some of the warning signs of PTSD. Mm. And it should be, just go back up the line. So if he's not responsible, then whoever was the responsible adult yeah. in the room is responsible. And if someone isn't found to be responsible, it will just be done again and again and again. And mm. I don't doubt that it's prob- this kind of thing has probably happened a number of times Yeah, and it just hasn't been recorded. Mm. It's a horrible case. And yeah. it's the way, the way it's reported, the kind of triumphalist reporting of it in the, the kind of tip, the, the usual suspects in the, the mail and the telegraph and things like that. It's like it's a, 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 a sign of justice gone wrong. And it's like, well, it's not really, is it? No, well, the thing is... He did execute a prisoner. The pers- the people who I think are the worst in all of this mm. aren't... Well, it isn't him. Mm. I. He's pretty bad, but he's, he's not the worst. Yeah, I think it's... He the, has at least the extenuating circumstances of having been in the, been in the situation yeah. and had his brain fucked up yeah. by desert heat and... 
Well, he's been violence. Even though we have a volunteer army, mm. he's in a horrible, disgusting, grinding industrial war machine, which Metal Gear Solid has taught us is not good. Mm. Um, it's the pussyfooting liberals who rush to his defence. Yeah. Supposedly pro-peace people who were in favour of the Iraq War originally, but then went, oh, no, no, it's not so good. Um, and like, oh, how could we have seen that this would possibly have ended like this? It's like, well, because that's how they end. This is what happens. This is what happens when you occupy a country. I did see um, Stig Abel, former editor of The Sun, um, uh, talking about um, oh, how you... Uh, you can't judge Marine A for what he did, which in you know journalistic parlance means... He did nothing wrong. Yeah, that's what they're ultimately saying as well. Yeah. You look behind the kind of what they're actually saying, mm. like to what what they're they're actually saying, mm. and he's saying, "Oh, he did nothing wrong. He should have been let off." And it's like, "What, well, Stig Abel? What do you know about it?" No, he knows you suffering. Know he used to do he used to do a weekend morning show with um, Katie Hopkins. Imagine having that, that man any- knows suffering. <laughs> that man knows horror. That, <laughs> imagine being locked in a room with someone that cl- clearly that deranged. <laughs> Yeah, imagine having to meet Rupert Murdoch that many times. By which I mean once. <laughs> and catch his checks. Yeah. <laughs> and defend him. Caught up in that horrible sun machine. Oh, it's horrible. Get all this money to lie all the time. <laughs> Going out to meet Rupert Murdoch in the hyperbaric time chamber where he maintains his youth. <laughs> he calls her Julie. <laughs> well... Oh no, what's his wife's name? Wendy? <laughs> no, she no, she's not his wife, she left him. No, I know she left him. She left him for um, the Phantom of Tony Blair, the ghost of Tony Blair. Well, if you, if you, if you believe, <laughs> if you believe the rumours, the scurrilous rumours, she, she not got this. pregnant by, via Tony Blair in seven days. Wait, is that the rumour? I didn't that's realize a rumor it had gone I read. that far. That's a rumour I read. Really? That, um, yeah, that they used to bang and Tony Blair got her pregnant, which just horrible I really hope it's not true because I don't want that to be a thing you know like um, in Lovecraft stories they freak out because of the very notion that a Shoggoth could exist <laughs> the very notion that they could create the beast with two backs <laughs> I yeah I would lose my mind you'd find me in an insane asylum just just gibbering to myself not like a proper like mental home now I'd have to find an old timey insane asylum <laughs> where I'd just be banging my head against a white tile wall <laughs> the only way I could deal with it but yeah it's horrible the defence of it is the thing that really fucks me yeah, off yeah like most things it's it's kind of we can't we can't get inside the event itself but the way the, the event is portrayed um, well they'll dance around the words but it's because so many liberals are really big fans of war mm. they really love they love it because so many of them are Martin Prince from The Simpsons and they'll just do whatever they're told. <laughs> and, no, it's... It drives me insane. The whole thing does. I hate it. I really dislike all the outcry. I hate the the gushing stuff, like interviews of his mum saying like, oh, I hope he's going to be back for Mother's Day. And it's like, what, have you got a problem with some Muslims down the street that you need to deal with? <laughs> but also, if he's, if he's that mentally ill, that mentally ill that he, you know, killed a man... He surely should need <coughs> some kind of treatment and not just be <laughs> let loose. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's the weird thing is it's it's become it probably didn't have that many headlines. Kind of on the day, it was kind of a story the story for the morning. Yeah, and it didn't really 
it hasn't lingered like the um, what's it called the uh, the inquiry into the Iraq War kind of obviously lingered around for a oh, long time. That had to time. linger though because that was the whole point of that was that was just when they'd discovered that you don't have to accept blame or have responsibility for anything. You can give put it to an inquiry and then ignore it for years and years and years and years and years yeah. and years and years. Yeah, the British state's technique. Yeah, <laughs> for when anything bad happens, they can be blamed for. But yeah, that's uh, well, yeah. that's that's Marine Aid and our opinions on that. Yeah. There's some, well, so there was, um, what's that, the Telegraph, the buy British button to let people be racist in their purchases. Oh, yeah. So, um, what can just, they buy? Let me just grab the, uh, the story up here. What would the buy British um, button allow me to buy? So, it's online supermarket shoppers could soon be offered a buy British button to filter out foreign produce as part of post-Brexit plans, MPs have said. Um, it's a... Which MPs? The uh, racist ones. Well, the mo- only the most racist The ones who are heavily invested um, in British companies. Environment Minister George Eustace has revealed he's met with senior figures at the NFU to discuss the possible labelling revolution. Uh, it's, as we said, I think we mentioned it in the first episode when we talked about uh, Brexit. Um, they're going back to, they're only rehashing old... They're rehashing the old ways of doing things. So after the war, um, there was a big kind of buy British thing. You have kite marks and things like that. And they're going back to, with again, with the Empire 2.0 we mentioned last week, they're going back to well-rehearsed, established scripts and narratives that they can spin about what Brexit is actually going to fucking be. But these dickheads with the, like, saying that, you know, then people should just buy British stuff mm. and just, to, just to keep us afloat. But the, I bet you, if you look at the Venn diagram of people are in favour of that, but people have a real problem with an Israeli boycott. Mm. Yeah. Because, but this is this is like significantly racist. This is racist. <laughs> this, well, no, it's just it's like well, you can't buy them because what they're inferior products, or are they? Because they're not the foreign products. They're better than ours. <laughs> There's a reason why Marmite is made with foreign materials because the scrapings of our beer barrels aren't as nice. Yeah. It's the, no, it's the, it's their it's their fallback position because, frankly, Britain for the last two hundred years has been a net importer of food. Well, yeah, that's how they, we, do. we don't. We were the first industrial economy, and part of that means you spend your populace and your money on exporting industrial goods rather than growing food. That's just what we do, though. It's 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 been the pattern all the way, and these kind of small little measures to try and stop that it's, it's not going to do anything. No, it's. It's really not. I'm sick of hearing on the radio people talking about us having a better deal with America and getting more trade goods from America. I don't want American food goods. <laughs> yeah. I don't. America makes some some really good sweets. Yeah. Because they're really into their sugar, but their food safety standards are shocking because they don't have EU regulations. Yeah. And that's why they have E. coli outbreaks a lot. Like the very notion that we'd start importing American meat on like in like on mass upsets me because I'm not going to eat it but I could catch E. coli of some dickhead who buys like a steak for a pound just wash your hands mate once in a while just once I beg of you I can smell them from here just, just you don't just get E. coli from not washing your hands E. coli is super infectious <laughs> but um yeah it's a that's a dumb half measure that doesn't really mean anything it'll just make a bunch of people feel Good because they can be racist with their racist button. That's my. That, I bet you the only people who press that button are racist. There's a beautiful. There's a. I've just got this beautiful image of somebody, some shut-in doing a uh, home shopping, and it's like, oh, I need the tomatoes. I'm gonna make that pizza next week. Oh wait, 
none of our tomatoes come from Britain. No. It's like, okay, I'm just going to sit here. What am I going to buy? Um, body pillows. Click, buy British. Oh, damn, there's no body pillows. Why will the market not fulfil my needs? <laughs> yeah. My desperate, desperate needs. What do you mean I can't buy a flashlight? <laughs> but I want to be racist and have sex with a machine. I want to be racist and comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, when that... Um, the. Courgettes and aubergine shortage over the last few weeks because there's been. Um, I don't like those. Things. You don't like those things, but um, my girlfriend loves courgette and, courgettes and aubergines, and you couldn't get any because they had to source when they didn't source them from Spain and Italy. They had to source them from even further afield, and it's like the idea that yeah, you could probably grow them. We don't though. Well, we don't have the we weather don't. for a lot of them. Well, it's like, um, little we bit. just don't. We don't have the farming inf- infrastructure because we've driven the farming into infrastructure into the ground. Well, and there's little things like, okay, one of the um, one of the vegetables I do know a bit about the grocer the growing life cycle, mm. um, asparagus. Asparagus you see it in the shops all the time now. Yeah, asparagus you can only harvest it once every four years. Yeah, that's why it has to be important mm. because the amount of land you'd need to support North London's desire for asparagus, it's shocking. <laughs> Oh, it's just stupid. We don't we don't have enough space to grow loads of shit. Yeah. And also, I don't want to give more power to British farmers because if Brexit proved anything, is they're all fucking idiots because they all voted for Brexit. <laughs> like all the farming parts of this country voted Brexit, mm. like a bunch of morons. And now there's bitching because they're not going to get their subsidies. It's like, what did you fucking expect, you idiots? Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's I don't want to talk about Brexit anymore. Well, we have one more thing to talk about Brexit. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's impossible to avoid it. Um, Yesterday, I believe, Theresa May said that she would trigger Article 50 on May the 29th. Did she say that in her Vogue interview? Uh, March the 29th, sorry, yeah. She said that in her interview in British Vogue, where she sat there (laughs) looking like, like, look at me, I'm in a power suit, I'm a grandmother that watches Sex and the City, I'm the cool grandmother, even though her womb (laughs) is inhospitable to human life, because of all the vinegar in her veins. Just like that woman intensely. <laughs> yeah, I hate her, but there's almost nothing to hate left other than what she actually, you know, does. <laughs> Everything, it's like Everything I don't about her is a vacuum. I don't want to pick on her for for like physical problems that she might have, mm. but I've literally run out of all the other stuff because I've been yeah. complaining about her solidly for a long time now. There's literally nothing she's ever done that I've agreed with. Um, she's been PM for barely a year. Yeah, but even when she was home secretary, she was fucking appalling. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's one good thing that Theresa May has done. She managed to make a load of policemen hate the Tory party. <laughs> Which, did you see that one coming? Did you see the Tories going, hey, policemen, fuck you. So, guys, we're going to have some uh, civil strife coming up. We're cutting a <laughs> lot of young people's educational benefits. Um, we're going to need you to take one for the team here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay, because what they really want is they want G4S. They want like those private security... Um, the private police in West London mm. that are starting to become a thing. Mm. OCP. I don't know what they... I can't remember the name of their actual company, but we'll just call them OCP from They Robocop. will be called OCP. Yeah. Um, just OCP from Robocop. Doing On the ruins shit. of New Kensington. Yeah. Yeah, we could... Mm. Uh, no, it doesn't really look like Detroit. <laughs> There's nothing you can do to <laughs> yeah. Detroit with more gilding. <laughs> but... Um, We've got to wait till yeah, it gets to that. Birmingham to really get that post-industrial grind on. Private police forces and a kind of decaying factory centre. So. Or five miles east. Yeah. Just get towards, like, um, Silvertown and um, yeah, actually, Town yeah. and those bits where they're just, like, Tate and Lyle factories. That place smells weird. 
I like it around there, though. I like the crash zone around London City, because London City is the best airport in this country, yeah. by far. Is it just because it's close to you, and you um, despise airports? It's really close to me. That's a good reason. I'm yeah. saying that's not a good it's reason. It's really though. close to me. The queue is always tiny, but landing mm. is amazing, because you come down through the buildings, and it's really futuristic. <laughs> that's literally that's it do you like, feel like you're arriving at your new life in the off world colonies yeah and then realise you're in the old 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 world then I realise I'm, I'm at London Sea Airport yeah. I've got to get the DLR yeah and then chances are I'm not going to get my favourite seat in the DLR and get to pretend to drive the DLR <laughs> oh, but um, yeah it's the best one because the other airports it's just landing in a car park yeah. it's bullshit I liked when I went to Australia. It was one of my favourite things, like landing in some weird airports. Yeah. Landing in an airport in Hong Kong before I was going to I've die. always wanted to land in that airport in Hong Kong. I it's don't travel that much, but it's, it's terrifying. Uh, yeah. It's terrifying. And then landing in Abu Dhabi, and it was just yeah. like, yay. Abu As Dhabi. you can see, there's nothing else to say about Brexit other than it will start to properly happen on March the 29th. Bullshit, it will. I reckon she'll chicken out again. Well, like she's, still she got, she's still got two years. Because maybe Leanne Wood will call for a referendum in Wales. <laughs> Like she was saying that they deserve to have like a little say. The come sit. Yeah. What? Stop trying to say the be- try to speak the beautiful Welsh language of your bastardised English tongue. Uh, mate, exit. That's Latin. <laughs> Latin plus Welsh always ends well. <laughs> the Roman uh, language. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's the news of the week. There's fuck all really. Yeah. There's 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 a lot, but it's the same kind of stuff. Just say stuff um, that everyone hears yeah. all the fucking time. So we're going to go on to our main topic this week. Yeah. Which is radical centrism. Which is super cool. It is being on a snowboard on top of the fence while wearing criminal damage jeans. <laughs> it's the new cool thing from the 90s. It's what the cool dudes love. <laughs> um, Tony Blair this week um, announced his Institute for Global Change. Which he started with the Iraq War. <laughs> <laughs> And it was very successful. The yeah. world has changed. I think at least this time it will be mostly bloodless. Because I can't imagine all anyone getting excited about it. Yeah, all smotherings. Well, um, it's only bloodless because there's, you know, starvation is a pretty bloodless death. <laughs> um, yeah, the Institute of Global Change to um, inject the fire back into the to centrists everywhere. As a remedy against the frightening populism. I don't know what he means by populism. I don't like the... There's been... Changing what the word populism means. Yeah. In the same way that... that It's too broad. Yeah, like, like, there's a couple of words that journalists have decided we're going to redefine what these words mean. Mm. Like, like when they um, first decided what trolling meant on the internet. Yes, yeah. And they changed it from just teasing someone to hounding someone into suicide mm. and it's not the same and like populism it's not they, they seem to be populism is Nazis yeah or Stalin and socialists well they're the, no they're not and they're the same yeah oh they're the same yeah. yeah let me tell you about a really cool new theory I've heard <laughs> yeah it's called horseshoe theory new yes yeah, it's new. brand new just today yeah I got it in a pamphlet um, it told me about horseshoe uh, Nick theory Cohen, Nick Cohen told me about it yep. and uh, that and the Laffer curve yeah because <laughs> finger on the pulse, Nick Cohen. Oh, yeah. Nick Cohen. Does, on a side, Nick Cohen's little drawing in the Spectator. Yeah. The Spectator. Doesn't that look like an anti-Semitic hate crime? <laughs> he's not Jewish. I know. He just really <laughs> likes pretending. I think he's got um, a Jewish grandfather, which, according to Israeli race laws, would not make you 
Jewish enough to actually emigrate to uh, Israel. Yeah. I think that's it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Um, so, radical centrism. Um, you've been affected by it. It's... Well, that's all we've had for a while now. the kind of centre-left, centre-right mishmash of nudges and technocratic policies that inform most journalists, most kind of, um, in inverted commas, blue-sky political thinkers, and literally nothing in reality. Yeah, they're they're dharmas, sack of hammers. Yeah. They seem like they have all been on a lot of DMT. That's where it comes from. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's existed for a long time. But ultimately, the, the kind of history of it is it comes out of the end of the Cold War. Mm. Um, the the left is exhausted from, you know, trade union battles, um, general political political battles. Um, losing. In Western countries, anyway. Yeah. Um, losing political battles. The ascendancy of the right and the really hard hard right Cold War conservatives. Well, it ties in with the neo, when, when neoliberalism really fully started yes, really yeah. ramping stuff up. So like um, with Poland, with Solidarity. Yeah. Where, yeah. if you don't know, where Solidarity, like Poland stopped being Soviet. Mm. Well, Soviet, yeah, they stopped being Soviet. Then they elected... Uh, they were an independent non-state trade union yeah. who um, served as a kind of counterpoint to the Soviet backed um, communist government of Poland Hmm. Um, that kind of thing and they kind of played upon various um, anti-communist nationalist themes and they were the the people lionised by the by the West in their fight but Solidarity like in their election that they won Hmm. they were really left wing Hmm. and then as soon as they won their membership was left wing well yeah (laughs) sound familiar (laughs) you know I I learned a a weird thing you know there was um, when uh, Boris Yeltsin was um president there was a referendum held in the Soviet Union something to the tune of um, do you wish to see the continuation of the United Socialist um, states of Mm. Russia some kind of system like that and they voted something like 72% yes and it was just ignored because then you had the kind of um, besieging of parliament of course Yeltsin ignored it because Yeltsin wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for America Mm. which Americans really need to remember well, yeah. they do remember. They next know exactly time, what next they're doing. T- next time they, yeah, next time they bitch about Russia interfering in elections. I mean, it's <laughs> well, you're just getting angry with Russia interfering with the politics of other countries. There's mm. like, there's a really good book called Killing Hope. <laughs> That's yeah, I recommend worth you read Killing Hope if you haven't. It's very good. Yeah, it's definitely read one chapter, drink a bottle, weep a bit, then read another chapter, drink a bottle, weep a bit. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like it's tied with the neoliberal thing and the just general assumption from everyone that it's like the the Francis Fukuyama, uh, yeah, the end of history yeah. thing, which was that we found the best way of doing after things. the yeah after the fall of the Soviet Union, you had um, centre right and centre left. All the problems had really been solved. The economy was fi- the capitalist economy was fine. It was the way to run things. All you needed was a little bit of tinkering here and there, a little bit of restriction upon capitalism's most vile instincts, yeah. and everything would be okay. And it was, and that's the end of the podcast now. Um, <laughs> well, the thing is also, that when that book was published, how long after that book was published was 9-11? Uh, it was like, published it was in 96, I want to say, 95, something like that. Because it was a proper kind of... I mean, Francis Fukuyama was a full, fully-fledged Cold War kind of conservative. Yeah. 
but hedged his bets, could see where the kind of political consensus was going with Clinton and Blair and things like that. And they, they love that kind of stuff. This kind of, this kind of consensus grew up probably mostly coming from the older social democratic parties hmm. originally. Um, that the market economy was the way to go, that state intervention didn't work and that hardcore free market stuff didn't work but should be allowed anyway. Yeah. Um, and kind of led well, to the you politics could, you that could, you know now. You could you know? let it run free but sort of control it a bit mm. and that would make it happier. By which they mean control. not control it. Well, no, because you, um, ask them, you, you ask any kind of free marketer psychopath, Yeah. you give them any kind of limits and they'll say... Okay, we'll accept this limit when we're working in your hospital, where we're like privatizing bits of your hospital, but then they'll spend the next ten years destroying those limits. Yeah, and I mean, they were appealing to a particular constituency. Their idea it was that the fall of the old kind of uh, social democratic politics of the sixties and seventies, all the economic shocks of the seventies, had done away with the need for trade unions and collective action as a whole you weren't to see people as groups anymore you were to see them as vast waves of individuals and you were to cater to them on that basis and it it kind of appealed to an electorate that had been steadily depoliticized since the 70s mm. they were told focus on yourself focus on your consumer goods and indeed politics should be sold as a consumer good mm. yeah that there was a a kind of ready-made individualist middle class in the west the kind of remnants of like labour aristocrats and the ones from the working class who had done well enough mm. to kind of clamber up that they felt were the kind of the wave of the future. They were the revolutionary class, but this wasn't a, a revolution of circumstances, of material circumstances. No, no, no. Those things were already parceled out. What it was was a kind of weird, almost like Whiggish idea that progress was to be seen through technology. You're going to have to explain to me what Whigs are. Um, Whigs, were the old, Whigs, Whigs are. were the old Liberal Party, but when you're talking yeah. about it in terms of history, mm. um, Whigs were the kind of proto-liberals where they believed that human freedom and human liberty was on an inexorable, irresistible rise upwards. and that things. That, it's like people who say that um, racism is, uh, is going to get better when all the old racists die. Like, naturally, we're going to grow out of racism. And it's like, well, no, racism ebbs and flows depending on social and economic circumstances. Racism reinvents itself. But that's the kind of Whig view of, of history and politics, that everything good just gets better and that everything bad falls away because it's irrational. Proto-libertarian. Um, yeah, kind of. But they've got more in common with, with modern... They've got more in common with people who call themselves modern liberals, I think. Fine. Libertarians have their own standards around the kind of state and uh, and how, th how things should work in their ideal society. Liberals supposedly have their ideal societies just with a few bad apples mm. that they've just got to pluck out or wait to fall out the bottom. Whereas libertarians you know what I mean? want to smoke weed and fuck babies. Um, yeah. They want, they want, you know, uh, private ambulances and billy clubs. <laughs> billy clubs. <laughs> yeah. To defend their property. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. But yeah, that's uh, radical centrists yeah. came to that kind of power. And they got a lot of power. All the kind of think tanks and all the kind of... Like, yeah, the, the Tony Blair Institute for Change. Uh, or the... Uh, yeah. Or the like, Centre for American Progress or Liberty uh, Tony or Blair Demos. Tony Blair Institute for or, Change sounds... 
like the Erdogan thing for progress and development. Yeah, it's a it's a very radical centrist name for a very not radical centrist man. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so he's coming yeah. back because he's really angry at the very notion that people might want something different from everything staying the same. Yeah, and that angers him a lot. Yeah. Well, that's because their whole their whole worldview was based on the fact that humans human society in general and Western civilization in particular had perfected itself somewhere around 1997, and that everything else was just have, everything because, else was just details. But it was it wasn't until two years after that the Matrix came, <laughs> <laughs> the highest achievement of human society. But, um, it was we were talking about it this week. With what late? What the Labour Party? I don't really want to talk about the Labour Party because I hate it so much, yeah. and it makes me really depressed and angry. But with the Labour Party and their freak out this week, mm. and mm. Um, it's the thing that you said, like, should, why can't? Why won't they just jump? Why won't they just take advantage of this and ride this train mm. where it's going? Because in theory, they well, not even in theory, they have the largest left leaning. They have the largest um, membership of any party in Europe. Yeah. Um, why That's don't they right just ride this train um, yeah. to, to victory? But it's that thing I said to you, it's because they don't want to go where this train is going. They want to, mm. they will would r- much rather blow up the train or turn it and make it come off the tracks. Yeah. Because the train isn't going straight back to 97. But it's because most of the, pe- most of the parliamentary Labour Party, a significant amount anyway, are either original OG Blairites hmm. influenced by this kind of radical centrism, or they're kind of getting on that train and realise the train metaphor again. Um, they're getting on to the party now hmm. and believe that anyway. Hmm. It's a weird kind of like um, it's a nostalgia thing, especially after Brexit, after Trump, after yeah. the recession. They're desperate. You see a lot of kind of words thrown around like um, sensible responsible, sane, grown-up. Like, when Tony Blair came back, it's like, oh, the, the grown-ups are back. It's and it's it's because they're, the centre of their world is that period of prosperity before 9-11. They're all Martin Prince from The Simpsons. Yeah. Every single one of them. Yeah. And Martin Prince is a dickhead. <laughs> he is. And they all are. They're all fucking... They're, and it's... It's so incredi- it, radical centrism. It's incredibly selfish. Oh yeah, no, it abs- it's based around that. Yeah. It's based around it's, se- selfish individualism because that's the basis of those market economies that they talked about. It's consumer choice in politics as much as in like chocolate bars or yeah, flights. You know, even getting a plane isn't like choosing a chocolate bar. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I fucking hate this. It's that thing of um, I could probably be talked around to the free market having its way with certain things in the economy. Mm. I'd probably be fine, entirely fine, with the free market giving free reign over chocolate bars, mm. right up until the point they start just grinding up bugs and glass and putting it in there because it's cheap. So I'd, I'd ha- I wouldn't, I'd say happily, I wouldn't mind them like having their way with chocolate, but it's applying it to everything. Oh, yeah. And affl- thinking that you can just put a little... a little tweak here and there and then capitalism won't kill you to save a dollar. Yeah. I mean, there's also a, there was a nostalgic element in the original one because one particular area they are concerned, radical centrists are concerned with, is culture, yeah. and the whole like um, uh, blue labour thing, I suppose, would be the most modern kind of attempt to make a modern movement within the Labour Party. Anyway, you have blue labour and red Tories, yeah. which is grabbing both of their 
ex- more extreme wings, which are not that extreme. Let's face it. No, Blue Label was just and, was just Blair, but a bit more racist. Yeah, it was. It was kind of. The left has overstated equality and internationalism, and what we should focus on was the good old days. The Hovis adverts. The working men in the Hovis adverts. And it's based on a fantasy. There was a child working in the Hovis advert. But, yeah, but even, yeah, but even then, you could tell that they were, even back in, that was like 2011, yeah. um, before uh, like Brexit and Trump and all these current shocks that are happening, they were already grasping at kind of an older way of what was by then an out-of-date way of doing politics. Like, these, like centrists are based around kind of uh, moving to the centre, obviously, like non-partisanship, technical solutions. So it's like, oh, my company doesn't run a bus service to my village anymore. Well, okay, we'll give um, taxi passes to the over-60s. That kind of thing. What's Very that? little measures. With some, like... Non-partisanship, which yeah. is a big part of it, which is probably one of the things that I hate the most. Mm. I hate the fact that they think that it's completely unacceptable for someone to have a belief that they're like stuck to, mm. that they that that's something that they genuinely believe in, and would be really upset if someone is actively trying to stop it. Yeah. Um, we'll just opening and very. Yeah. Don't have to it. They can hear us drinking. No, they can't. They can't ever know. They know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a response to a lack of imagination about what to do in politics. Growth was good, so it was ultimately defending the status quo, which is yeah. everybody say it's conservatism. Yep, it's a conservative attitude to have, even if you're in the Labour Party. It's a yeah. fucking conservative attitude to have. Well. I don't want things to say the same. And also the people yes. who the people who support like was it the most obvious of the super cool criminal damage machines mm. wearing radical centrists would mm. be the Lib Dems. And what proved with when they joined the coalition government is it seems that most that an awful lot of their supporters seem to be a little more to the left than them. Mm-hmm. We look at um, how a load of um, Lib Dem support, um, supporters responded to the Orange Book, mm. which did have Nick Clegg advocating privatising the police. Yeah. Which, like, I, like a lot of people I knew were shocked when mm. they sided with the Tories. I wasn't. No, not really. No. I mean, they don't have a politics... Well, that's why you voted for them, because you wanted a Tory... Yeah, I wanted, wanted a, a, Tory I wanted a Tory government. Prime Minister in uh, yeah. 2010. I thought, enough with this. Yeah. This and deficit thought, is ludicrous. Yeah. We have to balance the budget, people. Yeah. It's simple economics. Would you spend more than you... <laughs> <laughs> Would you spend more than you earned? Well, you live in 2017, so yes, you do. <laughs> well, that's, the thing. Um, the, the, that's a thing, that's a fundamental thing that they all believe, that mm. obsession with balancing the budget, which <clears throat> and then ties into all them, their rampant support for austerity. Yeah. But they never look too far into the very notion of balancing a budget and whether that's even applicable to... No, it's not. It's not. It's, yeah. Well, it's not at all. It's not the same as a household budget. It's it's so stupid. But then you can't just shake someone and scream in their face. Well, you can, but you won't get what you want. Well, I've done that. I've been chucked out of many libraries because of it. <laughs> it's like shouting at someone because they're holding an Adam Smith book and I'm just shaking them and shaking them and shaking them. <laughs> yeah, but th- don't worry. You won't have to do that soon. There won't be any libraries left. Um, <laughs> good, good. Um, yeah, it, it's... 
it's a notion because they had no particular ideas and they had been so influenced by neoliberalism that had gone native it had gone like a parasite it had burrowed into the middle of people yeah so what you had was a lot of kind of cultural measures so it's Mm. like make people feel good don't change the way they live don't change what they can do just make them feel a little bit better about it what's a big thing like a big positive change to the way the country has been run since 97 since 97 that's when he got it isn't it Um, apart from getting rid of Steve Adams well the thing is like there was a whole thing on Twitter the other day um, there was a massive argument about um, the Blair legacy so a lot of people were saying oh you can't run down what the what the Labour Party did under Blair they achieved a load of things and it's like think it's quite telling that anything that you positive you can point to was rolled back so it can't have been that fucking significant no you know but also they were little half measures to just allow capitalism to keep on going yeah there were, there were little things like the um, working family tax credits yeah because you're not being paid enough to survive yeah and because bosses really hate it when you die on a shift mm. but they're not going to pay you more mm. But I mean, those those are the kind of those are the kind of things you 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 suffer under you suffer under radical centrism. They're mm. monsters. They will allow you to the, the ideal kind of society for them is somewhere like Singapore, mm. which they don't mention the canings for dropping gum on the street. They don't mention the massively subsidised public housing, but what they like is the image of wealth. Yeah. And after after kind of they had gotten I don't know personally whether they'd gotten disillusioned with politics about actually doing something but they retreated into a kind of cultural bubble which was fine when you could point to growth they could always point to growth and say ah oh, the economy's grown four yeah. percent this annum because of the housing it's it's fine you know because of the massive fucking housing bubble and they got another little boost when um the internet became a big thing so yeah. they could point to silicon valley entrepreneurs and saying we are not it's it's a way of not having to make any hard decisions yeah it's like well don't worry we won't have to make a decision about whether to keep funding these libraries because everybody will just read things directly from their laptop mm. whether that person has a laptop or not <laughs> is none of their business well, um, you know it's like what's one of the other ones that they pointed like um south korea yeah south korea which used to have capital crime it was a capital crime for capital flight yeah and it's why there's it's partially and they got a load of american money mm. yeah. and also they were also a police state until 1985 yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it's yeah. it's a um thing or said mm. That they're like um, the our liber- patron saint. <laughs> the liberal democracy is just a step away from full blown fascism. Oh yeah, because they'd happily have a full on mm. police state if it mm. meant if it meant that, that people would, you know, you could and so many people would happily lap that shit up if it meant that Kafkaism was still open and um, Hotel Chocolat. Yeah, I can't remember whether I've mentioned this on the pod before. There's a Walter Benjamin quote that talks about how. Um, Socialist politics tries to bring t- tries to make culture and aesthetics more political. Hmm. Fascism tries to make politics aesthetic, so it tries to bring in the flags, the colour, the pomp, while not actually changing anything. Because fascism, and to a certain extent, radical centrism, encourages doesn't encourage any particular political change. Doesn't encourage any difference in the way that the benefits and the products of society are, are parceled out, the products of the kind of means of production are parceled out, what it does promise is radical change that's empty of any actual material change. Mm. So what it does is it tries to change the way you feel rather than change the way you be. Yeah. And 
it's probably a hard sell to say that radical centrism is is like that but certainly the liberal democracies and we can fucking see it now in 2017 the way things are happening in France happening in Britain that that change that mental change that you did that everything was perfected we don't have to do old politics we can just sidestep it has brought this fucking change on because it's not happened speaking of France I still haven't watched or listened to the Marine Le Pen interview with Nigel Farage mainly because I'm afraid of watching so much volcanic sexual chemistry between two disgusting <laughs> human beings where they're just sort of grinding up on each other saying, calculators don't even go up to six million. It's because they believe in the essence. They're fascists. So <laughs> they have they have that kind of vital essence at their heart. Actually, there was, there was something I wanted to um, read out here. Let me just get it up. Um, there was an article on BBC News the other day... Uh, the only way to describe it is gushing. A gushing piece about Marine Le Pen um, before the uh, the French elections, which are in the next couple of weeks, I think. But she isn't even the first hot round then. of voting. Well, she'll be plenty of hot in hell. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so it's uh, entitled Marine Le Pen is France's National Front Leader Far Right yes. by Hugh Schofield. Yes. And it's a large bio starting with her childhood. The first line, let's just read this out here. I want to get you what you think about this. Okay. Marine Le Pen's political awakening came at the age of eight when she survived a bombing at her family's Paris home. Sweet. Now, um, if you're coming into this with no knowledge of Marine Le Pen, Marine Le Pen is the daughter of Jean-Marie Le Pen, who was previously the um, French far-right leader of the National Front. And a Holocaust denier. Um, and a, like, a Holocaust not even like denier. a slightly teasing far-right yeah. Nazi. Yeah. Like a full-blown... Like he was... I mean, it, the dynamics of fascism are ever so slightly culturally different in France. Mm. But he was, you know... Was the Vichy government that bad? No, he that denied, kind of thing. He did deny the Holocaust. But, yeah, that kind of thing. He says, was the Nazi occupation that bad? That kind of thing. That was the framing that he had. His daughter um, took over the party, um, largely, it seems, by force. So her childhood home was bombed, and that's what awoken her politically. Yeah, and this is on the BBC. You yeah. know, liberal bias, yeah. broadcasting and barrack communism, uh, BBC. Yep. Yeah. Cultural Bolshevism. In her BBC. autobiography, the woman who took over the leadership of France's National Front from her father describes the chaos, the smoke and the debris. She and her two sisters were on our knees, shivering, holding hands, praying with the fervour of despair when we heard the voice of our father shouting, Girls, girls, are you alive? What was the name I, of her autobiography? Was it Moi Struggle? Yeah. <laughs> it was Moi Kampf. <laughs> Moi Kampf. They felt the German had more punch. It is more beautiful than <laughs> the original German. Never stops being funny. No. Um... The mystery of who tried to kill Jean-Marie Le Pen and his family on the night of no- 1st of November 1976 is still unsolved. A hero. A patriot. Yes. Like an actual, you know, good person. Yeah. Considering the kind of things that... When the, was that When was that bombing? Because that, was that around uh, the time 76. when... 76. It was oh, when he was, was... I think he was running... Uh, I think it comes up later, but he was running in a, an election that year. It was, later when there, it was later when there was those French bombings of um, warehouses that had foreign wine in. <laughs> was the militant wing of the um, French um, Wine Growers Union or Guild Association or whatever. It's... <laughs> they have a militant wing. <laughs> well, they'd need it. <laughs> let's not let's not descend into okay. into base anti and like anti French xenophobia. 
I mean, uh, we'll, we'll, do that, we'll do that later off mic. That'll, um, be, a, that'll <laughs> be a special bonus episode where I get out all of my problems with France and wine. <laughs> but anyway, carry on. Um, for Marine Le Pen, the attack changed everything. The family home was destroyed. She lost school friends who, whose parents were too scared now to let them near her dangerous father. An obnoxious father who I kept on having to say, a go at the brown water. I just want to say to Marine Le Pen, don't worry. Your friends are not Algerian. <laughs> He's not a dangerous man. <laughs> Unless you're Algerian or communist. And the Front National were known for beating up communists in the street. Or Jewish. Or Jewish. Or just... Or, yeah. Anything. <laughs> but the, the thing is that, it's like, if, if your kid is at school... Hmm. With someone who is not just a bit of a racist. They haven't just got opinions. They've got. They racist. haven't just got opinions. They've got a structure and a pseudo paramilitary organisation based around beating. It's up not like saying, "Oh no, I, I wouldn't let I wouldn't let your kid go around to Dave's mm. house because you know Dave's a bit of a racist. He you know he he says some really dodgy things about the packy shop. Yeah, it's no. He's king racist. He's mm. king racist of France. More profoundly, she came to understand that she... I feel like I should have some kind of Mills and Boone romance music on in the background here. Some kind of tinkly pianos or something. Yeah. More profoundly, she came to understand that she and her family were different. They would never be treated as normal people. Instead of sympathy, there was hostility. Because of her political choice to be a fascist! He's the member of a a violent political party. How dare you pick on me just because I want you all to die. (laughs) Today, Marine Le Pen is often described as having a hard exterior. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but at heart, there is that emotional toughness, a determined self-reliance, whose origins surely lie in the difficult psychological difficulties, uh, conditions of her childhood. It's, it's, like, it's like framing her childhood... Yeah. As if they were a poor immigrant family being oppressed by racists. I remember when we had to hire more security guards for the chateau. <laughs> he lived in a chateau, by the way. Of course he fucking did! That he, do- that he was donated by a millionaire follower who died. And he lived in a chateau on the outskirts of Paris. So this was a chateau that was bombed, I believe. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> um, isn't there a word for kind of um, hard, spiky self-reliance? It's a Ein Volk. No, it's ah, oh, it's autarky. Yeah. Um, with that toughness, she could not have pushed the Front National to its current unprecedented heights. This is a BBC journalist well, talking the like BBC this. shit. This is why, like before, we were talking about can't watch Question Time or anything like that because they're fucking dumb and stupid and. Oh. They push a. They push this kind of. Um, they just want that same narrative story, and it doesn't matter to them whether it's like you say a poor immigrant. It's like a, 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 a homosexual kind of a person of color. It doesn't matter to them. They just want to be able to tell that same story. Well, you can guarantee that Marine Le Pen's like, oh, they persecuted. They persecuted us because of our choice to be fascist, just like. That man's choice to be gay. (laughs) Or that person there's choice to be black. (laughs) Marine Le Pen has taken her election campaign to a community hall in the small town of Clairvaux-les-Lacs before a mainly working class, mainly middle-aged audience of 300. You shock me. (laughs) Um, She develops the themes at the part of her party's 144-point manifesto. 
Surely they just need 18 words. (laughs) (laughs) Kill foreigners. From prioritising jobs for French nationals to automatic expulsion of undocumented immigrants. (laughs) She talks with a a practised confidence. In a previous life, she was a lawyer who defended in the Paris courts the sort of immigrants she now wants expelled. I feel like that's a theme that deserves developing in a piece about Marine Le Pen's life. If I was a journalist doing something about Marine Le Pen, I would look into the people she defended (laughs) because I don't think she really did anything. (laughs) And if she did, I think there's probably a lot of evidence there for all of her defence cases being mistrials (laughs) because she's a fucking Nazi. (laughs) This is her sixth year as as leader of a party traditionally seen as far-right. Traditionally, it is. It, you can call you can call it that. Apparently, it's okay to fucking have fascists and far right politicians on every news program in Britain. <laughs> you don't have to sugarcoat it. Yeah, we all fucking know. Um, it's her second tilt at the presidency. Presidency. She won third place with nearly eighteen percent in two thousand twelve. That bettered anything her father achieved, even in two thousand and two when he came second to Jacques Chirac on an anti-immigrant law and order platform. Watching Marine in action. You can understand the appeal. There is a hint of the every woman about her. That says everything you need to know about bullshit, fucking liberal, Martin Prince, fucking cunts. Because <laughs> he sounds they want less to be like Dom. He sounds they like less like Dom. Martin Prince. He sounds like Millhouse. Yeah, actually, yeah. There we go. Millhouse. Millhouse wants to be dommed by uh, Marine Le Pen. He wants Marine Le Pen to be <laughs> pissing on him and calling him worthless. She won't let any of her vital essence out. <laughs> She's been holding her piss in for years. Oh, God. <laughs> People like the lived-in, authentic persona of a middle-class lawyer, fascist lawyer. She's not a fucking factory worker. She's not fucking in the fields, fucking taking out grapes every day to take home to the family farm to sell. Is that the you know job? I mean? in, the job. That's in the France. job. That's the job in France. I assume that's what. Well, France no, does. It's, um, it's picking yeah. grapes and it's picking grapes and stuffing ne- geese and for foie gras, <laughs> <laughs> hunting the last autolan. As Marine, Le- as Marine Le Pen withdraws her grain-sodden hand from the throat of a goose, I get a sense of the every woman about her. <laughs> Soon she'll be stuffing her electoral platform down the throats of France's voters. Marine Le Pen, much in the same way. Marine Le Pen, she's definitely eaten autolan, is she? I don't know about autolan. She, def- she must. De- I mean, I don't know, but she must de- like defend foie gras as like. No, she's got that weird. She definitely has eaten Autolan. She's eaten that little bird. Autolan, if you don't know, is a delicacy in the north of France, I believe. It's a sparrow. It's a a small sparrow that they um, force feed with um, brandy. No, 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 no. Sorry, they blind it, right? And and then it overeats itself with um, like armagnac soaked grains. Nice. Then they bake it. That's how I want to go. Yep. Um, baked and full of armagnac <laughs> and then they bake full it full of grain <laughs> and then you eat it whole with a cloth over your head to hide your shame from God and you eat it whole because the bones puncturing the inside of your mouth the the blood from your mouth is the final ingredient this is actually a thing <laughs> and it's hilarious 
That's oh fucking. Dumb. As a vegan, it goes way off the cruelty scale for you, and I guess goes back round to really, really funny. Which just hilarious. It's just so absurd. And they've pretty much um, the French have pretty much eaten this kind of sparrow to extinction in their desire to <laughs> chew on bones and bleed out of the mouth. <laughs> Fuck. But yeah, she is definitely in that. <laughs> much in the same way that, you know, the commoner in La Rochelle has. La Rochelle being the main French town that most British people know about because it being in the French textbooks. <laughs> um, what is her plan for La Rochelle and the bibliotheque? Yeah, and the La Piscine. Mm. Yeah, the swimming pools. I know they've got some swimming pools. They've got a kick-ass bibliotheque. Yep. I assume, from the 70s French textbooks I've read in school. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, people like the lived-in, authentic persona, the sense she gives of combining hard work with the aura of someone who knows how to have a good time. Have a good time. All the time. Which of the Nazis was the party Nazi? Um, that would be, I would guess that would be Goering. See the fat one? Yeah, he's the fat nobleman who, like, stole a load of artworks and was fucking massively... Is he the pilot? Uh, he was a pilot in World War One, but he was massively high off his tits on barbiturates when they arrested him. The Baron Harkonnen. He was party. literally the Baron Harkonnen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she knows how to party like Baron Harkonnen. <laughs> Out here in the sticks, people adore the fact that she is ho- so hated by the establishment in Paris. An unintended consequence of our main theme today, radical centrism, is that obviously you hate the politicians who don't do anything for you yeah. it's a to return to our theme it's a main fucking falling down is that it neoliberalism and radical centrism creates a lot of harm and you know but then and it leads them it leads people to getting furious with them and then voting mm. for Nazis and they even then they don't get what they want because they vote like look what's happening in America right now <laughs> well no the, Trump isn't doing what mm. he's, he, he's, he might build that fucking wall but he's not doing... I don't really like talking about America. But he's not going to... We he's will not doing we'll a lot talk of, about America more, don't we? Um, yeah, if, um, what's it, TTIP comes up again. Yeah. Um, it's not as gone away for good, I think. Yeah, because he's, yeah. Well, you know, he's a fucking idiot who thought that NAFTA was a really bad thing for the rich people in America. <laughs> but, um, no, like, he's... Like, their healthcare plan, he's not doing the mm. thing that he promised them. And maybe it will turn. I doubt it because they'll just go back to I don't know stuff in their faces with Reese's pieces <laughs> or whatever else yeah. Americans do. <laughs> um, back to this article. Marine owes Jean Marie owes uh, Marine owes Jean Marie in daughter as in father. There is the same pugnacity, ready for a scrap with a hostile world. Hostile for a fucking reason. Pugnacity. I. I always hear that on the world at war. They just say that the Nazis committed terrible atrocities. Ah, but so pugnacious. Yeah. Well, the thing is, well, they're like the little engine that could. It's not even hostile. The little engine to Treblinka that could. It's, <laughs> it's not even hostile for them anymore, because like I've watched documentaries about um, French anti-fascist action in like the eighties and stuff. Yeah. And it's not like that now. Hmm. Nigel Farage and all of you kid would have had a much harder time if they were doing their shit in the in the like the late seventies mm. in this country. There would have been instead of them being SWP guys going yeah. there would have been people just battering dickheads in Clapton. Mm. Clapton? Clapton. Mm. <clears throat> but today, Marine and her father are entirely estranged. The rift is not a charade to help along her political career. It is a total breakdown. The pair have not spoken 
for more than two years. <laughs> Is that because um, Marine, Marine Le Pen, she's like, I don't believe they killed as many Jews as you think. They didn't. You know what I mean? It's like, what are they going to disagree about? It's going to be something <laughs> bullshit. It's going to be bureaucratic. Well, it was control over the party. Well, there we go. It was control over the party, which she, she seeks to, de- in inverted commas, detoxify from an openly anti-Semitic fascist party. And in 2000... <laughs> Her dad's like, I just want to wear a swastika everywhere I go. And she's like, but dad, no, we won't get as many votes if we wear swastikas. What we do is we tattoo them where people can't see. The pair have not spoken for more than two years. In this family, politics is stronger than blood, says journalist Olivier Beaumont. Which is ironic, coming from a fascist. <laughs> yeah. Mention Lady Tail to anyone in the National Front today, and their face hardens. I presume from the grimace into a kind of scowl. <laughs> you know. Um, they know exactly what it means. In September 1987, a dark moment became a turning point in the party's history. In their biography of the man, Pierre Pen and Philippe Cohen call it the day Le Pen became Le Pen. He was asked in an interview about a notorious Holocaust, Holocaust denier. Did he share the man's ideas? In his reply, the Front National chief was at his ambiguous worst. I do not say that the gas chambers did not exist. I never personally saw them. I have never particularly studied the issue, but I live, believe they are a point of detail in the history of World War II. <laughs> I just... A dark moment became a turning point in the party's history. It's like, finally. <laughs> finally, it's all out in the open. It's all sunny veils. So it's an upswing from here. What's... Importantly, what's Varg, what's his opinion of Marine Le Pen? Varg Vikern's the prominent black metal Nazi musician. And shirt designer for father Urban of two. Outfitters. And father of two. <laughs> is he a father of two? Um, he is a father of two, yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but it's, um, well, he's a prominent fucking Nazi who lives in France. Yeah, but he has more opinions on chainmail and D&D than he does on <laughs> French <laughs> politics, I think. I don't know. I haven't watched his YouTube videos for a while. They're all pretty great, coming they from, the, from his in, like the front seat of his hatchback. <laughs> Worse, Jean-Marie reacted to the hostility by digging him further. Oh, if only he had he had apologised <laughs> for doubting the Holocaust. <laughs> if only he could have pulled this one off, it would have been fine. He could have beaten up 10,000 Algerians as long as he didn't say anything about the Holocaust. But he fucked up in this one move of the three-dimensional chess. <laughs> Marine Le Pen. Oh, in a... Then came the 2015 interview when he said Le Detail all over again. So he denied the Holocaust again. Yeah. Not Le Detail. It's he denied the Holocaust. Marine Le Pen looked on with horror. She disassociated herself from the remarks. Because you can get away with bashing Muslims and saying that you'd do exactly the same things to Muslims as you would to Jews, but you can't say you would do that same thing to Jews. That's literally it. Well, actually, I think you can probably even get away with saying you could do that thing to Jews, but you just you can't get away with saying it wasn't done before. I'm pretty <laughs> certain she could like mock up diagrams of like, well, this is where we'll put them in these camps. Well, well, you know, like the like the like the French government has been doing for years with. Bad lows. <laughs> um, time and again, after she was elected as Front National leader in 2011, Marine Le Pen would make clear her desire to normalise the party and make it electable. But time and again, Jean-Marie grabbed the headlines with incendiary statements. 
But there's a problem. Oh, it's the one problem with this fascist party. Yeah. It just needs to be more electable. Yeah. It's there's, like, no, there's a thing there. It shouldn't... No, there's it's this, a fascist party. They sh- it shouldn't be a... It shouldn't this, be a thing. This impulse, this... We were talking earlier about partisanship. Mm. And it's been taken to an insane extreme in the last two years or so. Maybe they've got some correct views. Um, yeah. They, they're well, just responding to the legitimate concerns of the yeah, working people. Yeah. Of the La Rochelle Bibliothèque and the French... Great pullers. These fucking craven idiots, hmm. these fucking morons, have gotten the idea that the political sphere is one big whole rather than a competition over power. And they've internalised it so much that anyone, anyone who interferes and who comes in to that political sphere is worthy of the highest praise because they're all politicians yeah. they're all politicians and journalists it's what let fucking um, what's his name Richard Littlejohn into the journalistic fold it's we've got to hear all voices and because he's published in a paper therefore he's worthy of concern yeah. it's what let Rod Liddle still unaccountably be published <laughs> and what allows Nigel Farage on the BBC again and again and again this insane desire to have a body politics that's whole and insulated from any actual politics, which is, I need not remind you, the struggle over fucking power, yeah. the struggle over what's right, the struggle over what a world is. It's fucking pathetic. I mean, there's there's more um, about her kind of normalising the party and them talking to um, her closest political advisor about, oh, he's a canny political operator. I said to Marine Le Pen... Don't say anything about the Holocaust. <laughs> he's a real, he's a real smart cookie. That one was he a canny political operator? Like, um, was it Strauss? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In 2010, before being elected leader, Marine Le Pen was roundly criticised after comparing Muslims praying in the street to the German occupation. This is a family who also said the German Vichy government was not that bad, <laughs> and we paid for this. And normally I get yeah. really angry with people who say, like, oh, I can't believe we pay for the BBC. And, mm. then, and then they do something that, you know, they'll put on, I don't know, a drama that they don't like or more bullshit ballroom dancing. But when it's this... Yeah. We are making big gains in the civil service, says uh, Marine Le Pen's close friend. In the police and army, and we are not doing badly among small business owners. Oh, no shit! Small business owners are a bunch of fascists mm. and the police and the army are full of fucking murder... Okay, a a party based around small business owners (laughs) and sympathisers in the police and the army. If only there was a historical point that we could look to for some kind of guidance. The thing that annoys me is stop telling me that that they're canny political operators when they're just aping what was done before. Yeah, they're riding on the back of a bankrupt political, a liberal political class. Mm. And they're coming to a point, I mean... I, I don't think we need to read any more. It's, it's, no. just a, it's just a huge puff piece, and it's one of the most disgusting things I've read on the BBC in a fucking long time. I mean, there's a lot more about her very trenchant views on Islam, which, guess what? Not a big fan. For fuck's sake. Um, but, yeah, so I think our larger point in, in reading this through uh, radical centrism is that they've allowed... Not only are they direct enablers of this kind of fascism, this kind of right-wing resurgence we've seen in the last year, 18 months, two years maybe, they are 
they see themselves as gatekeepers mm. to that political class, like I say, that's isolated itself off from any other business other than politics. They're mm. not anything else other than politicians until they decide to drop out and take a high-paying job uh, in one of their professional careers. Um, but it's that thing that the whole thing with um, centrists and you know decrying populism. They are more than happy to share a bed with a full-blown fucking Nazi. They would much rather that than ever, even for a fraction of a second, turn slightly to the left. Yeah. You can see it in the coverage about Corbyn. Yeah. When will Corbyn resign? This is very embarrassing for Corbyn. These same people who see any, any voice from the right as a legitimate voice to bring in mm. and allow to broadcast on loudspeakers shut out a lot of the left from any kind of thing, any kind of voice, any kind of alternative opinion. Because, ultimately, I might be biased here, but that's what's actually fucking dangerous to them. Hmm. Because they yeah. are they are a, largely a, a class who grew up under kind of um, social democracy, took those benefits, took the free university education, took the job in the BBC or anything, made enough money to be comfortably fucking well off, and then decide what's legitimate and what's not. And that kind of policing like, has to fucking come to an end. That policing of discourse, that policing of where politics is, has to fucking end. Mm. Because they're going to drag us all down with them you know they're, they're, like, there's a lot of articles at the minute about um, why doesn't the radical centre why doesn't the centre have a tea party and it's like because you don't believe anything the tea party was a galvanised admittedly um, uh, astroturfed kind of made up political movement that was incoherent yeah. but that fed of the dissatisfaction of a particular segment of the lower middle class who'd suffered after the recession but you know what they had they had the energy and the kind of mad wild, like mad wild solutions to what was actually a problem. Mm. Radical centrists don't want to admit that there's a problem. That all we need to do is rein everything back and yeah. get back to 1997, well, and everything would be all right. And it's, like, it's not. It's not all right. It's like I don't want to talk about America, but one last time, mm. the Hillary thing of America's already great. Mm. Bullshit! It is. Yeah, and that's why. She was unelectable. Yeah, I mean, uh, in a in a more Marxist sense, I don't think that they're just a political philosophy. Radical centrism is not just a philosophy. They they make it up and they publish enough fucking think tank papers and institutes found enough institutes to make it seem like it's a political philosophy. Mm. But what it is is a class position. Mm. It's the ruling class that's slightly softer and slightly kinder. Mm. They have no experience in any kind of class politics and they don't want to. They can say that, that they can steal the kind of gains that the left and uh, smaller movements have made in like LGBT and race and gender politics and rights. They steal those because they say, well, it was it's just inevitable. It's the tide of history. That's why I say that they're Whigs. Mm. Going back to my earlier point, they're Whigs. Because with things like race and gender and LGBT issues... They say, well, it was inevitable. The tide had turned. The yeah. tide goes over. It makes it seem like a natural force. It wasn't a natural force. It was a really hard-fought and won um, victory by those people and, let's face it, like the left that supported them. Mm. You know? Not going to grab all of, the, all of their kind of... Not going <laughs> to... What's the word? Um, what's the um, word Stealing for people? Valor. Yeah, I don't want to steal their valour. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the left were on that side of history. But they're... 
progress in that is all erased. It was all a natural bit of history, and then the, they got up to the door, and liberals let them in. Hmm. And it's it's fucking bollocks. It's they're just they're just gullible dickheads. Hmm. Okay, well, want to send everyone out on a kind of a higher note, a funnier note. Yeah, let's all get a good chuckle. We promise well, screaming and crying, but we're going to add laughter. Yeah, to that. Yeah. yeah. And if we start getting Patreon subscribers, then, you know, maybe some guffaws. But um, what was in the news today about Brexit, but the funny side of Brexit? The the laughs. Yeah. The laughs are coming. Yeah, Uh, go on then. um, So there's an article in the Mail today about Tory fury as historic Brexit act won't be printed for posterity on vellum. Traditionally, um, parliamentary um, laws and, and, and acts of parliament have been passed on, have been um, inscribed on vellum, which is um, cleaned goatskin. Yeah. It lasts for a long time. Uh, it doesn't tend to perish like paper is. But some Tory MPs are absolutely fucking furious about of this. Of course they are. Presumably because it breaks the magic spell that Simon de Montfort um, made when he made the deal with that gypsy. Yeah. Um, to. Well. To uh, instill Parliament with the magic that it has now. Well, it doesn't stick unless it's on vellum. <laughs> well, it has to be refreshed with the blood of every dead monarch. So they have to drain the monarch. That's why, you never, that's why it's never an open casket. It's, <laughs> um, it's fucking dumb. Many Conservatives in the Commons were up in arms at the idea. They pointed out that as well as its ancient roots, vellum is the hardest wearing me- method available. It's not. It's, it's really not. It's really not. Okay, look. I am a vegan, hmm. but I'm not an idiot there are certain things that just work like the animal derived product work be- works better like um, thingy for diabetics insulin yeah getting it from pigs that yeah. kind of shit goat skin yeah <laughs> we've improved on goat skin it could be on a fucking flash drive for all I care if it was good enough for Conan it's good enough for me <laughs> Conan didn't write nothing on goat skin no he didn't write he wore it though <laughs> They didn't wear goat. Well, early on in his career, before he could slay, I don't know, saber-toothed tigers and... I don't know, it's been a while since I've read a new kind of... <laughs> but, oh, it's dumb. It's not the best. And they're just... It's just tradition. <laughs> Nobody will be happy about this. It is another Nobody part will of the... <laughs> It's like, I'm ecstatic. <laughs> I'm so glad. Finally, we've moved out of the 12th century? <laughs> well, even, um... if you, even if you don't give a fuck about animal suffering... Surely, just take solace in the fact that a bunch of Tories are really angry. <laughs> this is the tradition. This is tradition. <laughs> Ian Liddell Granger lashed out at the change. This is tradition being sliced away in the interests of so-called modernisation. <laughs> How can you get more Tory than that? <laughs> Be in favour of those automated checkouts at ASDA, but how dare you take away also, my goat skin? He makes notebook. he makes some very bold claims on the base of vellum. Okay. It lasts forever. 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 Forever and ever. Organic material lasts forever. It does. When you bathe it in does. piss, which I assume they still do. Well, he said vellum was used because it was almost indestructible except by fire. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's true of a number of things in the same manner as vellum. Vellum is probably as lastable as most modern paper. Why don't just engrave except by fire? Why don't just engrave it on a stone tablet? <laughs> we tried that. <laughs> we tried that once. Or that thing got sailed out to sea and sunk in the Solent. <laughs> <laughs> it 
that headstone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was the thing you said about, like when we were talking about this earlier today, mm. how can you be that much of a Tory? Yeah. Which will then seamlessly filter us into a thing that I'd like to do on the reg. Yeah. Which is an in-depth look at not just Tories, but just mm. some politicians in general. Yeah. And start with this one. We'll go into possibly the most Tory of Tories, Mr. Jacob Rees-Mogg. Oh, fantastic. And it's okay if you don't know who he is, because I'm about to tell you. I'm about to tell you some glorious things. So he comes from um, a coal mine owning family. <laughs> we dug coal together. Well, no, they made that man dig coal for me. I mean, we made, we made those communities dig coal together. <laughs> and then we sold off their mines. But apparently he was quite the debater at Oxford. I have a real problem with that, that style of debate. I find debate in general is just worthless dick-waving for fancy people. When somebody in Britain says, um, oh, he was very good at debate at Oxford, I can only imagine a man who has a bow tie grafted onto his collarbone. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, he was born with it. He was born with it. He came out with it. Yeah. But um, at the nineteen ninety seven general election, Rees Mogg was the Tory candidate for the solidly Labour seat of Central Fife, and he attracted ridicule. After he stood camp- in Scotland, yeah, <laughs> and attracted ridicule after canvassing a large, largely working class neighbourhood with his nanny. <laughs> On election night, he do you came- reckon he called her mother? Um, no, oh. no, no. No, mother, I bet you he finds it hard to say those words. Or look her in the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On election night, he came third, gaining 9% of the votes cast. Fewer than half of the votes won by the previous Tory candidate in 92. <laughs> However, rumours that he told the constituency in a Bentley were described as scurrilous. He insisted it had been a Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> big difference there. It's a big difference. I'll have you know... Nanny was sitting next to me in the back of a Mercedes, not a Bentley. Um, there. <laughs> in 2009, he had to apologise to a political editor of the Sun for plagiarising him. Oh, oh man, he's one of those guys. Yeah. He came out of Oxford with loads of ideas that he thought were new, but actually they're just exactly the same <laughs> ideas that... Those people have had for fucking centuries. Awesome. In 2009, a pamphlet which reported to show him talking to a local constituent and calling on the government to show more honesty was criticised after it emerged that the constituent was a London-based employee of his investment firm. <laughs> of course he has an investment firm. Um, you yes. should look up a picture of Jacob Rees-Mogg. His, he, he doesn't, there isn't a bad picture of him. Actually, no, there's nothing but bad pictures of him. He's the exact opposite of Hawkwind. He looks like a drained dick. Yeah. He looks like a drained penis. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. He's the, he's the polar opposite of photos of Hawkwind. Hawkwind, mm. who can't take a bad picture, they always look amazing. Yeah. Photos of Reese Mogg, he's just the worst. And as you can hear, my cat has started to meow already. Um, <laughs> in Parliament, he has gained a reputation for his humorous speeches. Oh, God. And oh. his ability to filibuster. Oh, well, of course, this is like the Viscount... Exactly. Um, He helped filibuster the Daylight Saving Bill and the Sustainable Livestock (laughs) Bill, thus preventing their passage through Parliament. In his long speech on the Sustainable Livestock Bill, he recited poetry, spoke of the superior qualities of of Somerset eggs, 
mention the fictional pig, the Empress of Blandings, who won silver at the Shropshire County Show three years in a row, before moving on to talk about the sewerage system and the Battle of Agincourt. Is he Rupert the Bear? <laughs> like, is he Rupert the Bear made flesh? <laughs> I, I, that is falling dead on me, because literally the only thing I can remember about Rupert the Bear is the Alan Moore Rupert the Bear. Oh. In the extraordinary gentleman where a bear shitting himself in trousers. Um, he also attempted to amend the Daylight Saving Bill to give the county of Somerset its own time zone, 15 minutes behind London, which is... Kind of funny because I've always thought Somerset is a good 50 years behind London, not 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> that's the kind of shit that they go mental for, isn't it, though? It's yeah. like, oh, good old... Yeah, that's the kind of thing that will get him elected in Somerset for fucking ever. Yeah, definitely. Because it's like, well, we're fucked anyway, but we've got our own time zone, you know? Yeah. The Empire of Sussex. Uh, Empire of Somerset, all that shit. Yeah. Um, in a debate on local, London Local Authorities Bill on the 7th of December in 2011, he said that council officials who have the power to issue on-the-spot fines should be made to wear bowler hats. Like odd job. Why? What's the, what's the like, posho joke that I can make about that? I don't... I don't know. I think he just wants people to be wearing hats more. He's that kind of guy. <laughs> it's the, you know... It's the men don't wear suits anymore kind of... Yeah. Yeah. It's like... Boys have swag, men. Mm. Boys have boys have uh, was it? Boys have swag, men have class, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. In January two thousand fourteen, he dismissed the sum of two hundred fifty thousand pounds spent on MPs' portraits as chicken feed. <laughs> That's just a rich person joke. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> um, a massive supporter of zero hour contracts. Rejected. Oh, of course fuck, he is. Really? Re- well, of course he is. I expect those people a- to have a kind of laissez-faire, noblesse oblige, uh, uh, a noblesse oblige attitude towards that kind of thing. My retainer deserves to be paid well, it's, um, for the forty-five hours he spends toweling my arsehole. Well, it's, um, it's the mine owner stuff. Like um, my dad, he worked in a private mine yeah. when he was a kid, and private coal mines, as opposed to the state-owned ones, you could work in them underage. Mm. And those things <laughs> were nasty. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's why, you know, he's got that kind of fucking bullshit mentality. <laughs> but um, rejected criticism by Vince Cable and others that they were exploitative as the standard response of the left. Which I'm pretty certain he has. A, he uses that a lot of the time. It's like, oh, that's just a standard response of the left. His wife says, sorry, not tonight, darling. Oh, that's a standard response of the left. <laughs> oh, no, you can't hit that kid. Oh, that's a standard response of the left. Um He's just, oh, he's just the fucking worst. He's a monarchist. Of course he's a fucking monarchist. Well, yeah, monarchist. because he, yeah. Um, yeah. Opposed marriage for same-sex couples, same-sex couples because he's... Uh, opposed to sex, presumably. <laughs> well, he's a, he's a bullshit Catholic, you know. Oh, um, right, okay. He's that, you know... He's one of those weird, he's one of those weird old Aristos who, um... Well, he's not an Aristo. He's, his family is, it's just new money... Because his owner. his father wasn't his father um, editor of the Times. He's the I think so well known in yeah like satire of the sixties yeah. as the go to guy for stuffy reactionism. Yeah, yeah. But um, Reeves-Mogg's reasoning for this is that gay marriage does not align with the Roman Catholic faith. It says it's purely a religious matter. It's a question of what is sacrament. And you know we've got to take very seriously the legitimate concerns of the Roman Catholic Church with their idolatry of random gods and weird little trinkets and their stupid bullshit superstition and the fact that they're one hair's breadth away from belief, from full-on... Pederasty. Um, well, there's that. Um, paganism, that's the one. <laughs> they're just pagans. 
Um, he was a super supporter of Donald Trump until we found out that Donald Trump was a sex offender. Um, <laughs> Something he does not apply to the Catholic Church, presumably. Well, yeah, there's no sex offenders in the Catholic Church, yeah. none at all. Um, in 2013, he addressed the traditional Britain group annual dinner, even though he was warned days before by Searchlight, the anti-fascist magazine, that they're a bunch of far-right Nazis. Yeah, because they're, they're um, the remnant... I actually looked into them a little while ago. They're the remnants of the old Monday Club, which was the um, uh, the pro-apartheid um, mm. wing of the Tory party. Well, that, yeah, the old racist. Because then, he declared that he was uh, he was shocked when the traditional British group publicly attacked Labour's nomination of Doreen Lawrence as a life peer. The group said that she was without merit and called for the Conservative Party's 1970 general election manifesto pledge to encourage state-assisted voluntary repatriation for immigrants. <laughs> he was utterly shocked and horrified by this. No, who could have told him? Well, you know, it's just a standard response of the left. His, <laughs> his go-to. But um, then there's, you know, some other stuff about him, like... He's married to a woman called Helena. I'm not even going to try to pronounce their names properly. Helena de Cher, <laughs> um, who's a writer on a trade magazine for the oil industry. <laughs> the trade magazine consists of the articles like "Sell more oil" and "God, there's a lot of oil" and "God, there's a lot of money in oil." <laughs> um, she's the daughter of Somerset Struben de Cher. <laughs> Struben, yes. <laughs> Who fought in the 41 Anglo-Iraqi War and he fought in the Battle of Palmyra in Syria in 41. Um, he confused them with his non-traditional name and selection of vowels. <laughs> um, she's the daughter of him and his fourth wife who was the only child of the 8th Earl Fitzwilliam and just, just have a good old laugh at some obnoxious posher names. The 8th Earl Fitzwilliam, his full name. Mm. William Henry Lawrence Peter Wentworth Fitzwilliam, 8th Earl Fitzwilliam, styled the Viscount Milton. <laughs> British soldier, nobleman, aristocrat. <laughs> Wealthy gadfly. <laughs> <laughs> fucking. But yeah, he's a fucking bellend. And I'm pretty certain, I don't even need to look at that article about Vellum, I bet you he's furious. I bet you he is just quivering with rage. I'll have to take it out on his manservant. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I think on that note. That's a nice that's a nice that's a nice humorous thing. We'll try and structure these a bit better so that you know you're you're not left so feeling like you're the good. Well, I mean that's a in a certain light that's still pretty sad because that man's an elected MP, but uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> We'll try and uh, we'll try and leave you on that. Okay, that's uh, our episode five wrapped and in the bag. Um, as usual, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us at WTD. I'm going to get this right one day. You're never going to get it up. WDTAT. Do you know how difficult it is to find weather podcast? Do you know how difficult it is to get a Twitter username that's not fucking been used? You're just an idiot. Our Twitter is W. D-T-A-T-W underscore podcast. Follow us. Let us know what you think. If you've got any recommendations for things we can talk about, whether you think we're any good or not, um, we've got flagging self-esteem, so we need every every little comment we can get. Leave us a review on iTunes. And, uh, yeah, that's it from us this week. Yeah. See you later. See you later, guys.
but fighting am the least about the fighting game. When Mr. Hoover said to cut my dinner down, I never even hesitate, I never frown. I cut my sugar, I cut my coal, but now they just keep in my Come in, back 